I like hearing that sound. Well, good afternoon, Chris Harper, officially known as Harp, to millions of men around the country. Is that ex- is that ex- is that exaggerating? Maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not right now, but maybe in the future, it won't be it won't be an exaggeration. That's right. uh, Chris Harper, better man, on with sword and shovel. Chris Cannon, the two Chris's together. Um, Chris, I've got a ton of questions to ask you, but I think the first place to start is for me. What is better man, and how was it different than than men's fraternity? I mean, so for those of us that go back a little ways, we know Robert Lewis played obviously a huge role in creating both of these or at least starting men's fraternity and the content and the vision and and all that happened in 1990 and what was going on in the 90s with promise keepers and then uh it's changed it's become something and now you're at the helm of something really exceptionally wonderful called better man so what was what is uh i hate to i don't want to bury men's fraternity that's i've got the keychain still uh you know uh what was what is men's fraternity and and what is better man yeah, so that's a great question, and there's really there's really two uh, two distinctions, right? And and we realize. Let, let let me just start by saying, man, we're standing on the shoulders of of, of giants. Amen. I mean, we realize Better Man has a rich legacy in men's fraternity and how to raise a modern day knight and yes, authentic manhood and thirty three series. But but really, there's two two distinctions. The first is that that Better Man is an iteration of of all those men's ministries. Um, in the past, but it's geared towards millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha. So, so when you look at this generation, or, or you look at the generation that's needing the most help right now, um, we're really targeting millennial men, Gen Z men, and Gen Alpha men. Um, uh, those are the ones that that are that are looking for a definition, looking for a direction. So, everything we do from our writing to to even the color schemes we use, you know, there's an abnormal number of men now that are colorblind and, hmm. and one of the colors that you can see if you're colorblind is orange so you'll notice orange is the base color for everything better man interesting uh, we use it in all of our curriculums we use it in our backgrounds i mean it's that detailed so so running hard after millennial gen z gen alpha and then the second distinction and this is probably the biggest distinction is is philosophically when you look at all those great men's ministries of the late 80s 90s early 2000s mm-hmm. the 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 silent enemy or the enemy they were trying to defeat was passivity. So you had a you had a generation of men that that knew what they ought to be doing, but they weren't doing it because they they had fallen prey to passivity. And it was yeah. all about fighting passivity, kill passivity. Yeah. Passivity is the enemy. Today it's different. So we've transcended beyond passivity and we've entered into the category of ignorance. Wow. It's not that men are passive, it's just they're ignorant. They didn't have spiritual fathers. Many of them didn't even have actual fathers and, and they've never had anyone to show them what it means to be a man or be God's man. They don't have a path. So they live, they, they live in this, in what we call a masculinity fog. Hmm. They live in this ignorance and, and they're waiting and, and longing for someone to give them a path forward. And that's exactly what better man is. Wow. Okay. Let me jump off of that with a couple of more questions because this is so great. And I, you know, I, I memorized and in, 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 in hundreds of men in our church memorized the definition of, of manhood. And, and I know that it's changing and I, and I, I mourn the end of something, but I realized, Hey, we, we were fighting a passivity issue and now it's an ignorance issue. Not that passivity may not be a sin nature of that we inherited from the first day, the first man, Right. But I I love and lament the 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 shift because it indicates a deeper challenge, deeper problem, and a different the goalposts have moved. Um, yeah, one thing, something. So something I like to say is is two generations ago, men were confident in their masculinity and manhood. Yeah, and a generation ago, they began to compromise what it meant to be God's man, and today they're confused. So we went from confidence to confusion. To say it another way. In the 1970s, it was, I don't need a man. In the 1990s, it became, I don't want a man. And today, 2023, it's, what is a man? That's where we are. We don't even know what it means to be a man today. Don't need, don't want. The third one again, Chris? What is a man? What is a man? Yeah. That's where we've come in 50 years. Yeah. 
Yeah. So my question was going to be, um, but I think you've covered it, is the challenges that men face in the faced in 1990 versus 2023. And and, uh, and what I'm hearing is the, the definition of manhood, what is a man? And and there is no clear pathway to become what a man is. And there's a ton of confusion about this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you were to line up 100 men today and ask them, what does it mean to be a man? They'd give you 100 different answers. Mm-hmm. If you were to line up 100 pastors and mm-hmm. say, what does it mean to be a man? You'd get you'd get 50 different answers. And the other 50 are afraid to answer at the, mm-hmm. at the of defending somebody. Right. So, so where there is no definition, um, there is no destiny. You can't become what you can't define. That's right. That's you right. You can't define it. You can't become it. So, so what we have is an entire generation of of, of men, particularly young men, um, who didn't grow up with a dad. They didn't grow up with spiritual fathers. You know, uh, a lack of discipleship is plaguing the church today and has been for the last 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and then and then you got all these different cultural expressions of what it means to be a man. Um, and, and none of it's biblically rooted. Like, like nobody's looking at King Jesus and saying, well, wait a minute, we don't have to redefine or reinvent manhood. We just have to reclaim it. We just have to be like, like King Jesus, the greatest man ever. Mm -hmm. And, and here's what we know about men. When, when men don't have a definition, when they don't have a path, they, they, they will do one of two things. If they're self-initiated, um, they'll forge their own path and then they'll create their own definition of what it means to be a man. Think about, you know, Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, some right. of the, the leading secular figures in, in, in manhood today. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's be successful. It's, it's sleep with a lot of women, you know, um, it's drive a sports car. So they kind of forge their own path and they, and they really just break a lot of stuff along the way mm-hmm. or they become uninitiated and and they become paralyzed right where they're at. Um, they don't think for themselves. They don't speak for themselves. You see this all the time. It's the it's the guy with his head down walking six or seven feet behind his wife, right? And and she's really just running the show. And and he's just paralyzed. He he knows things should be different, but he doesn't know how to get there, right? So he just doesn't do anything. So they they either become like this toxic masculinity hyper male, or they become this uninitiated kind of cowering, really really pathetic pathetic masculine figure and and we're trying to eliminate both of those both of those dangers where and i see that and i see that in my own life in some ways um you know initiation used to belong to the tribe right i mean it was something that happened in certain cultures and uh you know bringing men into a community separating the men from the women separating the young men from the women into the company of men now we have feminized males and effeminate. We have all kinds of gender confusion. How how can the church step into, how can the church and how does Better Man help the church step into a place where Jesus and is helping, uh, the men are becoming initiated, I'll put it that way. Like, how do we do a better job of this? Yeah, it's a great question, brother. So the church, the church needs to recognize that there are there are different expressions of what it means to be a man. Mm. Like um, we say it all the time at Better Man, you know, Kevin Hart and The Rock are two different expressions of what a man is, but they both start in the same movie. Okay. They both start in the same movie. So it's okay um, to be a lumberjack, to be a mechanic, uh, to be a cage fighter, but it's also okay to be a poet mm-hmm. and to be a painter and to not like hunting and fishing. Right. Uh, you know, so so many times the church unconsciously stereotypes men, um, you know, with wild game feeds. And, you know, we always bring in ex NFL players and ex Navy SEALs at these breakfasts and the talk about faith and freedom. And, right. and, you know, you get a guy like me. I'm not I don't hunt. Um, I don't build things with my hands. You know, um, I like a good four or five star hotel. I don't care. <laughs> Like, 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 but, but, but I'm very much uh, a a man's man. So so what we share with churches, man, there's different expressions of manhood and masculinity, like don't paint with a broad brush, but there are timeless truths of manhood that have not changed. Yeah. That apply to every man. And that's, we, we get so caught up in focusing on the expressions that we ignore the truths. 
And we need to flip that. We need to start focusing on the truths and let those be expressed in the different men's lives. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to ground them in those truths. And, and, and better man has essentially, from God's word, we have we have discovered or we have at least um, put into print four truths of what it means to be a man. Um, you cannot be a man. You cannot be God's man apart from, from these four things. And um, we call them the four W's. They're super simple, super sticky. The first one is a real man courageously follows God's word. So he takes what's in the word and he applies it to his life courageously. Amen. Whether, you're, whether you're a lumberjack, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a painter, it doesn't matter. You courageously follow God's word. Secondly, a real man loves and serves and protects God's woman. Whether that's your your fiance, your spouse, your mother, your sister, whoever it is, um, God has designed and created men to be protectors. Hmm. Uh, uh, that women should feel safe around us. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a black belt in jujitsu. Like it right. doesn't mean that. Right. It just means that, you know, you're, you're, you're a peacemaker. Amen. Uh, um, women are safe with you. Thirdly, a real man excels at the work God has given him. And whether you're a pastor, a preacher, whether you're a janitor, an electrician, it doesn't matter. Um, we don't work for, for men. We work for God. Like all work, all good work is holy work and we should be excelling at it. Mm-hmm. giving our best to the work God's given us. And then lastly, a real man betters God's world. And he does that through his community, his church, and his children, um, leaving that good legacy. So so it's four W's, word, woman, work, and world. And what we've discovered when we give men those W's, when we give them the scorecard, man, they get in the game and they play. They they actually have targets to hit and they they figure out ways to win. Wow. Now, I mean, I, I'm in, right? I mean, I remember something like this with men's fraternity, but but this is uh, even stickier than than the, that idea. Um, how how does someone take? How do you know if, I, if I'm? Let's just say I'm, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm at First Baptist Church of uh, you know uh, Tarzana, and I want to do and I want to do better, man. How do I get? How do I get this thing going? Yeah. So again, this was a part of the adaptation. We've made it super simple. So everything is web-based, video and web-based. Um, it's a free resource. Is that the fifth W? Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's the fifth W. Yeah, so so it's a it's a free online resource. And, and I really mean free. There, there's not a bait and switch. There's not a licensing fee. Uh, when Robert Lewis agreed to kind of reiterate this one last time, that was a part of his stipulation. He said, hey, I want to give this away to churches and to men's leaders and to pastors and men. Mm-hmm. So for the last five years, we've kept it free and, and we plan on keeping it free. So you will literally go to betterman.com. We have a big button that says create a leader login. You 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 put in your information and then everything is there for you to download. Curriculum, leader guides, workbooks, videos. And then you take, you gather six to eight men and then you go through this 11 week journey together. You do wow. the study together. You watch the videos and then you fill in the answers in the book. And then at the end of each week, there's study questions that you do as a group. Um, again, super simple. We even put the answers in the back of the book. Like all you have to do is facilitate facilitate the conversation around the table and, and then let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Um, uh, and it's, it, it's, it's magic, man. And, and the magic's not even really in the content. I mean, um, I'd love to say it was, I write a lot of the content today. So, so I'd love to pat myself on the back and say that the content's, uh, the best thing in the world. It's, it, it's not the case. The content is super simple. It's biblical. The magic is in that gathering around the table. It's in the community of mm. men going through a path together, running hard after the same goal. That's where the magic is. And that's where we see life transformation. It's been spectacular. Jonathan Pakluda. Um, he's one of our national better man teachers. And he said something to me months ago that I'll never forget. He said, Chris, it doesn't matter what newfangled discipleship program comes down the pipe. Hmm. He said, you will never out strategize four to six guys sitting around a table. You'll I love never that. Out strategize that. Um, you'll never out strategize three to four guys sitting around a fire. That's right. To our life together. Like that's the way Jesus designed it. And it's absolutely the best method. And you know, and most men know that intuitively, right? They understand there's something about that. 
sitting in a circle talking about, you know, a good question that that kicks it off, right? Uh, I mean, I think for a lot of men, it's starting the ball rolling. But once the ball is rolling, then men, you know, I I, I can't tell you how many times I would I would go to close the small group time of men's fraternity, and I got these looks like we're not we're not done talking yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's seven thirty. It's time for you guys to go to work. And I get this like, we'll let you know when it's time to go to work message. And you know what? And I and I would see guys. You know, I'd see tears and laughter at tables. Some guys telling me, "Man, I, I don't even know these guys, but I'm telling them things I've never told anybody before." Yeah, yeah. And it's so I'm leading a better man at my home church right now on Wednesday nights, and uh, we end at eight fifteen every week. And I am never out of there before nine o'clock. That's great. They just they they said right and 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 that's key right. So the Surgeon General two months ago, the Surgeon General announced that the number one killer of men today it is not cancer, it's not heart disease. The number one killer of men is loneliness and isolation. Wow. And 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 every man, every man that I've met, um, they're just looking for the next locker room. Yeah. They're looking for the next um, uh, fraternity. They're looking for the next gathering. Like they're all searching for community. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and for the pastors that are listening, like this is true of your church. Um, yeah. you know, I don't, you know, I don't mean to be critical of the church. I, I am a pastor at heart and, and have been a pastor for many years. I just think critically about the church and, 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 and this is what I tell pastors in, in the Western church today, if you're a man and you do these three things, you're considered winning. Hmm. If you show up, if you tithe and if you help park cars. And I'm tithing park cars. That, that's it, man. And I'm like, I'm convinced that there's more than that. Like we need yeah. more for our man than that. And um, think about this, 360,000 churches in America. Okay. Approximately uh -huh. 80% of those churches have a functioning women's ministry. Less than 7% have a functioning men's ministry. Wow. And, and, and really, that's what we're targeting, like like better man's coming along and saying, hey, pastor, here's a free tool, a free resource that when you run it at your church, it's literally a two year cycle mm -hmm. where you have a ready made men's ministry for two years that we can guarantee if your men go through it, mm -hmm. they will experience to one degree or another life transformation. Gosh, you know, it makes me, you know, when, when I get into these culture debates and, and they, they can drift into all kinds of uh, rabbit holes. And I think people are expecting me to say something about the culture and the problem with the culture. And I, and I try to stay in the same answer. This is an indictment of the church, not the culture. The, the world does what the world does. But if we would grow men and, and give them a home field advantage, which is, I think, the church, the church could be and can be home field advantage for men. But 7% is not a number that's going to make a difference in our culture. And I think when we look at the fourth W, better God's world, uh, man, we, we've, we've got to, we have work to do. And yet, and at the same time, it doesn't sound like it's as hard as people may think it is gathering men together around the scripture and a thoughtful question and let men and let men talk. Yeah. Yeah. I just got back from, I just got back from Nashville. I was at Robbie Gallaty's church, Long Hollow Baptist. I don't think it's Baptist anymore. I think they dropped the moniker Long Hollow church. And, um, so he announced, Hey, we're doing a better man. Robbie himself, a man's man, a pastor. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to lead a table. I'm going to go through it. He said, I need this as much as anybody else. And they had 1800 men show up the first night. Can you have 1800 men? I was there. Like I was blown away. It was, wow. it, it was unbelievable. So, so that's, I, I love that about better man, whether it's 1800 men gathering in Nashville or uh, one of my favorite groups gathers in North Carolina. It's six college students around a fire and they project the video on the side of a barn at night. I love that. I, like, like I absolutely love it. So whether it's a small group, large group, whether it's in the church, outside the church, I mean, we've got guys running this in the marketplace. We've got them running it on professional sports teams. We've got a military base in Egypt right now running it. No kidding. Um, um, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's that type of, uh, that type of tool. And, and we give that type of access. How, how can we, you know, one of, one of the things about initiation rites and, and passages is a noble thing, a noble task, but also a community of men that celebrate, or even the community itself that celebrates the accomplishment. You know, when we were doing men's fraternity, when every, 
graduating class was welcomed by the previous graduating classes. And I remember that, you know, we created this kind of high five line. And uh, but, you know, what any thoughts on how how can we celebrate, you know, when a man finishes an 11 week class and it used to be we we crafted a manhood plan or something of a commitment. Right. Besides the what can we do as a, as a community of men, as a, as the church to celebrate men in, in a way that's not vain, but it's a way that says, yeah, you've done something significant. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I, you know, I, I get asked this a lot. I'm not going to say the church because. Um, yeah. I appreciate you know, that. I think it's a negative light, but I get it. I, I, I just met with a very prominent church, probably one of the top 10 most prominent churches in, 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 in America. Um, I came in, I did their men's conference, you know, I met with the leadership and, and the leadership looks at me and says, Chris, we don't know what to do with our men. Wow. And, and this is one of the most resourced churches in the world. Mm. And, and so this is not uncommon. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a mega church or a small country church, mm-hmm. this is the norm, right? Okay. So, so one of the things I've, I've, I've told churches, like, look for the easy wins. So for example, like quit telling dad jokes, like quit beating up on dads. Yeah, that's good. Quit making fun of men. Like we've already won the women. Let's, let's stop ostracizing the men. I told, I told this church in particular, you know, they've got a group of 300 volunteers that are greeting people every week. I said, train your volunteers that when they see a man walking his family across the parking lot, bringing his church, like to pull that man aside, high five him and say, you're killing it, dad. Keep it up. <laughs> like, 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 dad, I see you. Right. And, and what you're doing is what we're supposed to be doing. Like, like start celebrating the little things. Yeah. Instead of just, um, you know, uh, I, w- I was at a church not too long ago and, and it was a big women's conference that weekend. So a lot of the women were not at church and the pastor opened the service with, uh, as you'll notice, there's not a lot of women here today. So if the kids, you know, are wearing a shirt two size too big or two size too small, you know, dad got them dressed this morning, <laughs> right? And then, uh, and then and and everybody laughed, and I'm sure it right. was it was harmless fun. But like, I'm an I'm an intelligent man, and you just called me an idiot. Basically, right? Like, like, right. The kids' hair is tangled, and they haven't bathed. And then you know, a dad brought them. Oh, okay, no, great. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, no, like I can dress my kids. I don't need my wife to dress my kids. Right. So I was immediately offended and right. I just checked out during worship, just checked out. And, and, and I wonder how much of that goes on day in and day out in the Western church today. Well, I mean, would we, would we, would we poke fun at a woman in today's yeah. culture? No way. Oh, canceled. No, no. Right. Well, I mean, everything, right. But, you know, you're right. We we have a culture. You know, it took a it took a shaving uh, ra- razor company to. <laughs> is this the best a man can get? And they changed their commercial. What a year or two ago, and and it made headlines because they were talking about bullying. Suddenly, a, a shaving razor commercial was talking about manhood, and it generated a whole firestorm. That's it. That's it. And and when you think about there's there's an interesting study that just came out. His name is Dr. Jim McNamara. He's a He's a UK, he's an England uh, researcher, professor, and he just did a study on mass media. So he looked at 2000 channels of mass media, everything from the New York Times to daytime talk show. And him and his team studied it for six months. And anytime a man was mentioned, they noted it. Wow. And, and, and this is what his studies showed here in the West. 75% of a time that we talk about a man, it's in one of four categories. He's either an, a villain, an aggressor, a pervert, or a womanizer. Villain, so, aggressor, pervert, or womanizer. Those were the four categories that we are perpetually um, um, hearing that, that that men are. And and what happens is you say those things long enough, loud enough, over and over again, and, and, and people begin people begin to believe them. Right. Yeah. And then eventually they'll begin to take on those traits and those habits. And we're and we're, we're we're seeing that with men today. So so men are not being painted in a positive light and haven't been for decades now. Mm. We've been painted as aggressors. We've been painted as, you know, think about the sitcoms in the 90s, married with mm-hmm. children, who's the boss, the Simpsons, like like fathers and men were idiots, you know, or they were, yeah, yeah. Or they were revolving ATM machines, right, where they were just good for to hand out twenty dollars. Right. And 
we've completely and so so I call it painting with a with an Epstein brush. Like mm. like men get all men get treated as mini Epsteins, and we're the only subculture. And 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 I'm going to defend men here for a second. We're the only subculture that you can generalize and stereotype, and like people generally applaud it. Mm. I mean, if if I make a generalization about any other subculture, whether it's women, whether it's Asian Americans, whether it's Native, whatever, it's bad news. But but we make generalizations about men. They they offer honorary doctorates in that now at some universities. Wow. They applaud beating up on men. Wow. It's wild. Boy, there, you know, it, I, one thing I try to do with the men that I, that I, you know, get the chance to shepherd is to call, you know, call them men. And I'll say, you know, I'm intentional. Good morning, men. And I try to avoid using the word guys because to me, guys is a dumbing down of masculinity. It's subtle, but I, you know, I'm maybe in my own little way, I'm trying to, to give some dignity back to that word, but it starts with, with lifestyle and it starts with integrity. Oh, a hundred percent. So, so I start every conference I speak at, and I've been doing this for years now. I start the conference with having the men look at each other and say, I love being a man. I just have them say it out loud. And it's, it's, it's fascinating how people are are cautious and reserved to even say that as if it's some sort of expletive or cuss word. Right. And, and I'll have them look at each other and say, man, I love being a man. Just say that. Like we can say that it's okay for you to be, to be proud that you're a man or, 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 or to love the fact that you're a man. Like, like, like that's not a bad thing. So um, I'll always start with that. And then I end, and, and this is, this is mind blowing. This is everywhere I go. So I was in the Northeast maybe three months ago. And, um, it was, it was a fairly large men's gathering for the Northeast. Hmm. So, so let's just say there were 700 men in the room. Okay. And, and I just, I, I just said, Hey, if you're a man in this room and you've never heard your father or you've never had a father figure say, I love you or tell you that you're, they're, they're proud of you. I said, would you just stand up and, wow. and, and I just want to bless you. Brother, I am not exaggerating. I thought maybe 50, 100 men would stand up. Over 650 men stood up. Oh, my up. gosh. To the point where I lost it on stage. I didn't even know what to say. I was completely taken back. Hmm. Um, an entire generation of men who have never heard, I love you, who have never heard, I'm proud of you, that over and over, the media and news and culture is just beating up on them. Mm. No wonder, no wonder we have an entire generation of men that are completely lost and have no, they have no idea what to do with their lives. And they're not, and they're not excited about the future, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we can't, you know, it, it's interesting about, and that's my, that's my story. My, I never heard, I love you. Uh, I'm proud of you. You know, you're my son. I'm sorry. And when I share that, it, it, when I, when I'm asked to speak at different places, you know, I asked the same question. How many of you, uh, but not like that, not to that degree, right? Yeah. But when Jesus hears it, he hasn't done anything. You know, I, I always think about when, 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 you know, when he's, when the father says, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. I think, I think that belongs at the cross. So I, I want to rewrite the whole narrative. And so Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. But see, I'm, 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 what I'm writing is my narrative into the story because then it's conditional. When you when you run a good race, then your father approves of you. Right. But the father in heaven affirms Jesus in before the race begins. Oh, Jesus! As, as if to fuel, as if to fuel the next three years of of sacrifice and ministry and courageous manhood, he tells on the front end. Hundred percent. At that point, Jesus, Jesus had done nothing significant. Exactly. Which His always ministry, astounds me. Yeah, his ministry hadn't started, but 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 God, that's the right theological progression. Man, this is my son whom I love, and then I'm pleased. I'm I am convinced there are an entire generation of men today, inside and outside the church, that need to hear that very thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that when men hear it, inside and outside the church, first of all, there's uh, there's a a shock. Well, what have I done? 
Well, Jesus, I think, had been baptized, and that was that was about it, right? I mean, it wasn't like he'd uh, cast out demons in, in anything. But the fact that we have worth just simply as being made in the image of God, and God loves his creation, um, yeah, wow. Now, yeah, and you have worth. You have unique worth in the fact that you're a man. Yes. It doesn't mean you have more worth than a woman. As a matter of fact, you don't. Um, um, women, women and men are both created equally in the image of God. And, uh, but, but as a man, you have a distinct role. You yes. have distinct responsibilities. Yes. You have, you have distinct privileges because God's made you a man. And it's, it's time we embrace those and celebrate those. I remember I was, uh, I, I had to Uber back to my house from the, the mechanic Drop my car up, and I, I, uh, I, you know, I like Ubering because the guy that's driving usually it's you know it's whoever is driving they, they can't drop me off, they can't end the conversation. So you know I try to read the room a little bit in the car, and and uh, and so I said to that was it was a young uh, African American guy, and this was 2020. It was right after George Floyd had been killed, and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, who speaks for you? Hmm. He stopped the car in the middle of the street. <laughs> He said, are we doing this? I said, if you'd like to. I said, I'd like to. And so he kept driving and he said, uh, Farrakhan speaks for me. And I said, oh, he said, I bet you weren't expecting Farrakhan, were you? And I said, well, I really wasn't, ex I didn't know what to expect, frankly. He said, I said, so why do you think Louis Farrakhan speaks for you? He said, he empowers me as a man. Wow. And then he, he got to my house and he said, well, who speaks for you? And I said, frankly, I can't think of anyone right now who speaks for me. Uh, Tim Tebow speaks for me <laughs> because he's the only guy I can think of sometimes who I, I admire, who's a Christian man. But I said, Jesus Christ speaks for me as a man. Yeah. And uh, we ended, I ended up praying for him. And, you know, but I just tell you that the question of trying to find a man who speaks for me, who I want to want to be like, is not an easy question to ask or answer. No, that's great. It's it, it's it's I mean. It's exactly right. I mean, who does speak for us? And, mm -hmm. and and those who are speaking for us, are they are they worth listening to? Right. Um, yeah. You know, all of life, all of life is imitation. Yes. The question is, who are we imitating? Are we imitating good things or bad things? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I recently had a chance to lead our men's uh, Bible study uh, on a, a Wednesday night. And we talked about that very passage in you know, in First Corinthians eleven, when Paul says, "It seems so radical until until you finish the sentence." Follow me, as I follow Christ. And so, you know, I, I look at this passage in Tim, in Second Timothy. It seems to be there's a challenge to the older men and younger men. The older men, the challenge is to live a life worth imitating. The challenge to the younger men, to the Timothys, is to observe older men. Right? You know, because Paul says to Timothy, "Hey, pay attention to the outcome of the men in your life." Some of them men didn't have a great outcome. Some of the men had a better outcome. And he says, look at me, Timothy, look at your mom and your grandma. Cause he was, seems like he was raised by two women, right? For, that's the, that's the narrative. And then Paul becomes the spiritual father. And Paul says, watch me and pay attention to me because I'm going to be martyred soon. You're going to need a replacement dad. That's my language. You're going to, you're going to want someone to fill in this space and pay attention to the outcome of their lives. And so, uh, so much of, of this whole thing from raising kids to growing up, I didn't stop needing a dad when I turned 18. I've been needing dads my whole life. And, I've, and there's mentors that have been passed the, the baton, but you know, living a life, never perfectly, but living a life worth imitating. Oh, and, and, and I love, I, you know, I pray that every older man that's listening to this podcast, hears what you just said. Um, the apostle Paul was not perfect. Um, he was not perfect at all. As a matter of fact, I just I just shared a couple of days ago that we often forget that the Apostle Paul entered into heaven to the cheers and applause of people he persecuted and murdered. Oh my gosh, there's some there's a uh, mind blower. Yeah, like 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 don't forget that he he's not perfect yet yet he was someone worth imitating. I think there's so many men out there today that they feel disqualified by their past. They feel disqualified because they didn't get it right. Uh, they feel disqualified because maybe they weren't as active as they should have been in the church or in discipleship. And I'm telling you, older men, um, you've got experience. You've got failures. You've got shortcomings that younger men need to see and need to hear. The whole point of discipling the next generation is that I'm going to lead you. So hopefully you trip and fall less than I do. Amen. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean that's the point, right? I tell, I tell my team at Better Man all the time, this is, 
This is the best definition of leadership I've ever heard. Leadership is simply failing at a rate people around you can absorb. <laughs> failing at a rate the people, people around you can absorb. That's it. Wow. Because okay, so that that's the perfect segue into the painting behind you, the cop, the print of it. the prodigal son returns. That's so, it. tell I mean, of all the things Harp you can have on the wall behind you, and and I love it because to me that's the story of Christianity is right there. There's three three characters, father and two sons. One seemingly good son, one clearly obviously wayward son, as you said, the the man that that's aware of his failures. Why would what does that what does that painting mean to you? It speaks to you, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um when Luther, I want you to think about this. When Luther translated the Bible from Latin into German uh during the Reformation period, uh the subtitle he used for this story was not the prodigal son. He actually used the subtitle The Merciful Father. Really? Because he believed, and I agree with Luther that this story is more about God than it is about the son. Mm. So I have that painting to remind me that God is far more merciful than any of my failures. Mm. God is far more willing to receive me than I am willing to receive him. Interesting. And, and he is, he is so good to me and there's nothing. I remember, I remember being called to pastor, you know, be the senior pastor of my first church. And um, there is some stuff I had done before, before I was a Christian that I was not proud of. Uh, one thing in particular, I had encouraged a, a college girlfriend of mine to have an abortion. Mm. And I, and, and, and I carried that around and I still carry the wound from that around. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember calling a seminary professor and just telling him, Hey, I don't think I can do this. You know, there's, there's things I've done in my life where, you know, I'm a terrible person and I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Chris, when your repentance is more notorious than your sin. You are okay. Wow. You are okay. And it brought me to tears, right? And that's that's what I love about the story of the prodigal son. There's that point in the story that he's actually eating slop with the pigs. He is eating and sleeping with the pigs. And, and that sounds bad on the surface. It's extra bad if you're a Jewish man. Yes, sir. I mean, like you can't even fathom how bad that is. Mm -hmm. So... But the Bible says he comes to his senses mm. and then returns to his father's house. And it's the and, and here's the beauty of that. The father doesn't even wait for him to get to the house. The rest of the story is the father sees the son coming from a long way off, which A, meant he was looking for him. Amen. He never stopped looking for him. And then when he sees him coming from a far way off, he, he, he girds his loins and he sprints out to meet him which is undignified for any Jewish elder to do. Mm -hmm. And then he tells his crew to come with him, mm. bring the ring, bring the coat, bring the fatted calf for my son who was lost is now found. Yeah. It's me. Like that's me. Yeah. Um, um, running into the father's love, running into the father's mercy. And I never forget that. Um, uh, and I just want to share that story of hope and, and mercy with others, especially men. You know, when I, uh, when I read, I've read a few different, you know, commentaries on the story and, and I can't get enough of it. And one of the things that struck me when, you know, the, he, he has the ring, the robe and the sandals. And, you know, I, I guess it was, it was thought that when someone became a slave in that culture, that they took away their sandals. It was basically making sure they couldn't leave. It was one way to ensure that they weren't going to run away. And that the father brings back the sandals is the equivalent to me of giving the, the son the car keys. And it's almost like saying, are you, are you kidding me? You're going to let him, you're going to give him the freedom to leave again. Yeah. And the answer is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what would the story look like if I didn't give him the freedom to break my heart again? I guess. That's it. No, that's, but it, it's beautiful. And that's, that's the story of God's love for us. It's, it, it's the story of God's love for every man, every man listening to this. Um, you know, the, I always tell people, and I have to be careful with this because I don't want people to read this wrong or listen to this wrong, but Satan is not super creative. Mm. Um, he, he he has basically been telling the same two lies from the beginning of time. Mm. So when you look at the creation story, when you look at Genesis 3 in the fall, um, Satan tells Adam and Eve, hey, eat the fruit and you can be like God. The Hebrew there 
translates is you can be as Elohim. You can be God. So that's the first lie he tells. He mm. basically tells them, you're so good, you don't need God, is basically mm. what he tells them. He follows it up immediately with another lie. The Bible says that they realize, they eat the fruit, they realize they're naked, and they run and hide from God. That's the second lie. You're so bad, God could never love you. Mm. For the first time in the history of history, the man is not where he's supposed to be. The Bible says that God comes to the garden that evening and he has to call out for Adam and say, Adam, where are you? Not because he doesn't know where Adam is. God knows everything. Amen. But he has to call out because for the first time ever, Adam is not where he's supposed to be. And and, and I have a core conviction that every man on this planet, we are living in the flux between those two lies. The first lie, I'm so good, I don't need God. And the second lie, I'm so bad, God can never love me. And here's what's so tricky. Here's how Satan is so tricky. Chris Harper can wake up in the morning and believe and be believing the first lie. I'm so good, I don't need God. And by lunchtime, I'm believing the second lie. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's almost like the two sons are contained in those two lies, aren't they? Absolutely. Right? The good, the older son, who's the good son, the younger son, who's the bad son. The younger son comes to his senses and says, I'm not even good enough to be my uh, son. Because they, 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 they both believe the lie, don't they? I can't be, I can't be a son. And the older one doesn't believe that, you know, he doesn't believe he needs a, a father, frankly. That's it. That's He's it. so good. That's and, it. and I think that one of the things that is, is I remember having this moment of clarity was the father has to go to both of them. Both of them are outside the father's house. Right. And he goes to he he goes to rescue the younger one and he goes to implore the older one. But but both of them are outside. That's the both and, and they're both, like you said, that's an excellent observation. They're both believing the lie. The yeah. elder brother thinks that that his work and his worth and his merit um has earned him the the respect and the honor and basically the salvation that he deserves. And the and the younger son, I mean, the story literally says, um, I'll go back and ask the father to treat me as a slave. Make me one of your slaves, because then at least I know I'll eat every day, is what the, is, is what the story says. That's right. And God blows the doors off of both of those lives. Yes. He just blows the doors off of them. You know, it's funny whenever I, I teach the prodigal son, and I I, I wanted to end with the, the party, but it ends with the older brother, right? And so I, cr I used to cringe when I would do that. And, and whenever I do it with men, Men always say this, you know, somebody always says it in the group for the whole group. He's got a good point. <laughs> and, you know, and I think he speaks to our, it speaks to our, our, our masculinity, at least the second lie, right? Or at least the first, the first lie, the first lie that I'm so good. And, 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 and I think it, and I, I laugh because the gospel is contained in the whole story. We just can't, we just can't tell the, the younger son makes sense. The story makes sense in some ways because we, we, he's worse than the rest of us. The, I think Jesus was painting a worse off picture, Yeah, but, but there's another worse off picture. It's the one that it's like the guy that says in church, I don't have a testimony, you know, when you say, yeah. well, everyone's got a testimony. Maybe you're saying that you didn't, you didn't, you know, you know, run drugs across the border, but you're saying, Hey, I was an Eagle scout and I still needed Jesus. Well, that's a pretty important testimony. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's so good. And I think, I think where better man is, is for back of a, for lack of a better term, carving out a niche. I think those two lies, um, they've had their time in the sun. So, yes. <laughs> so, so for, for example, the lie, I'm so good. I don't need God. I think, I think that was a big deal in the seventies and the eighties when there was this whole, um, become an independent man financially and become your own man. And there was, there was that, that workaholic movement. And then you had the tech boom. And, and, and so in the, in the seventies and eighties and nineties, I think, I think that lie was, was primed to be believed. And I think self-esteem played into that, right. Didn't it harp, you know, 100%. that whole, uh, that part of that whole time frame of the seventies, eighties and nineties was, you know, I'm good getting better. That's it. That's it. And I think, so fast forward 30 years, to 2023, I think the second lie is having its day in the sun right now, mm. where we have men that are so beat up, men that are so plagued by their past, men that are so um, wounded. They have a father wound because they 
you know, were either orphaned or they're functional orphans that, that they're really believing the second lie now and it's having its day in the sun. Yeah. And, and, and we've got to speak out against both. And, 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 and this is something that, that every man needs to hear. And we actually teach this through and during the better man. Um, you know, men today, they've been told, especially by guys like Andrew Tate and maybe some other things that are not really healthy. They've been told that if you've experienced pain and hurt and trauma in your life, like bury it and get over it. Mm. You've heard the phrase man up. Right. Right. And move on. But, but this is what not just the Bible, but even secular science teaches us about pain and trauma. Any pain in your life that is not transformed it is ultimately transferred on to someone else. Wow. Say that again. Say that again, Harp. Pain that is not transformed is ultimately transferred on to someone else. There There is no such thing as dormant pain. There is no such thing as pain that just lies dormant within us. If we've got unprocessed or, or pain or hurt, that's not transformed. We are going to transfer that pain onto our wives. We're going to transfer it onto our children. We're going to transfer transfer it onto our coworkers and our neighbors. It mm-hmm. is going to come out one way or another. Yeah. So so we've got to we've got to help a whole generation of man men really transform, and and we want the gospel obviously to transform it. I mean that's what we want to transform it. Mm-hmm. But 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 we're out here kind of debunking that myth too. You can't bury your pain. It is going to manifest itself in one way or another. No, that that's so powerful. That that. You know, we, we want to move it on to hobbies and, and various things. Then, you know, and I'm nothing wrong with any of the things that, that we may go to do to recreate, but we still come home with it. Right. 100%. And if we move, then wherever we go there, we, we bring it with us, too. So it's it's uh, let me ask you this as we kind of wrap this up, um, which I don't want to wrap up, but I know you got you have a life to live. Uh, if it was 2033. And we get on another call. Uh, what do you want to say about the last ten years? Basically, meaning in ten years from now, what would you like to see the net effect of of efforts like Better Man and 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 seeing eighteen hundred men showing up? I mean, I'm imagining those eighteen hundred men becoming, you know, thirty five hundred men for for the next year. I can, I mean, I, I'm imagining what can happen, but. But Harp, from your point of view, 10 years from now, what would you like to see some of the net effects being of, of these efforts? Yeah. So years ago, I was a church planter with Dave and John Ferguson out of Chicago, the, the New Thing Network. They're the guys that founded Exponential. And I'll never forget, John Ferguson told me, he said, he said, Chris, if you want to create a movement, you've got to give people two things. You've got to give them a language and a license. So... At the end of the day, that's what that's what I hope Better Man is doing and will do over the next 10 years. We want to give men a common language around what it means to be a good man, what it means to be God's man. Um, it's our four W's. Um, obviously, we unpack that throughout our studies, but we want to give men a common language that they can use. We want to give churches a common language. I would love to see churches, when they post on their statement of beliefs on their website, that they post, this is what we believe a man is. And it's our four W's. That's right. Right. So a common language. And then secondly, we're giving them a license. We're affirming them, confirming them. We're approving them to go out and be the men that God's called them to be. And, wow. and, and if we can do those two things, give them a language and a license, um, man, we'll see a movement that can change the world. And, and, and for me, it's not about a hundred million men going through it. I mean, if the Lord wills that, then, yeah. then praise God. I would rather see 10,000 men being discipled and going through the journey and making disciples who make disciples. Like, like, like that's what I want to see men taking the definition, taking the language, taking the license and passing it on to other men who pass it on to other men who pass it on to other men. Well, I think Paul said to Timothy, what I've taught you teach faithful men to teach others. And so we, we get a glimpse of something that was supposed to happen organically, relationally, and in, in four generations deep. And then uh, who knows, right? That's it. Absolutely. And that's that's you know, that's the difference between between Joshua's generation and the next generation. You know, you read at the end of Joshua as yeah. for me, house will serve the Lord, and then Judges one and Judges two, Joshua dies, 
Yep. Then it says, and then goes the generation after Joshua, and then uprose another generation who knew not the goodness and the works of the Lord, and the Lord's yeah. wrath was on them. That's right. We have, that. we have a generation today, and a generation biblically is only 30 years. It only takes 30 years to upset the whole apple cart. And we have a generation today that do not know the goodness of the Lord. They don't know God's design for their life. They don't know the mantle God has handed them. And they need a generation of men, an older generation of men and uh, of older men to show them what it is. Amen. And they forgot, they forgot the, they forgot the generation of the Joshua's and they, and every man did as he thought best. Right. Isn't that a tragic poetic way, you know, that describes what happens when we don't continue the oral tradition of talking about and becoming those kind of men? 100%. And look around. It's happening today. Mm -hmm. Men walking around in a masculinity fog, bouncing mm -hmm. from one definition to the next, typically breaking everything in their path. Masculinity fog. Okay. Harp, one more time. How do, how do men get a hold of Better Man? Absolutely. Betterman.com. Oh, come on. Why do you make it so hard like that? Okay. That's it. Yeah. And plus it's a great Pearl Jam song. Like, like, <laughs> like it's there. So, so betterman.com. Um, we've got a whole ecosystem. We've got, we've got a podcast, the better man podcast, social media, you know, better man movement. We've got, we've got YouTube uh, shows and, and Instagram accounts and, but, but the crux of what we do is the content and curriculum. So you go to betterman.com. Um, you, you basically click the create a login and then you will have access to, to, to years worth of content curriculum. You can lead your own group. You can be a part of a group. Um, it's all right there at your fingertips and we give it away. Wow. And I, I can say as a graduate from, <laughs> excuse me, men's fraternity to stand on the shoulders of, of Robert Lewis and, and Chris Harper at, at no cost. That's no joke right there. That's a, that's a huge blessing to have all that available to your own laptop or I, or your phone. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, Harp, I can't thank you enough for just the, the wisdom, the challenge, the in, inspiration, the clarification, all of the wonderful things that we, that you've shared on our, on our time. And I look forward to having you back and I look forward to uh, the men that, uh, Sword and Shovel gets to work with so we can collaborate and, and come into the, the Better Man community and support the vision that God's given to Better Man. Man, excited, thankful for what you're doing, brother. Keep pressing on and and um, man, we'll shout this from the tops of mountains until until every man hears it. Amen. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, brother.